Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we want to give you ideas for immersing yourself in another country confidently, enjoying yourself like a temporary local. Today, we're boldly embracing our fascinating world. Guides from Sweden and Turkey join us with practical itinerary suggestions for two completely different destinations. Marita Bergman returns to help listeners plan getaways to the bucolic woods and glassy lakes and canals of Sweden. It's like going into an ice cathedral. And two young Turks have tips for enjoying the streets of Istanbul after dark, from traditional street food and tea houses to trendy nightclubs and even the late-night street fairs that celebrate the breaking of the Ramadan fast. It's really a privilege to be in Istanbul during the Ramadan. And wherever we travel, there's always the concern about staying healthy. We'll start in just a moment with listener calls on the topic of travel insurance and what to do if you get sick or have an accident while overseas. Thanks for coming along. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel tips for two entirely different destinations are coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves. Local guides will help us plan a countryside vacation in Sweden and enjoy the excitement of a night on the town in Istanbul. First, let's check in with our listeners at 877-333-7425. Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. And David's on the line in Athens, Georgia. David, thanks for your call. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Doing well. Good. I just wanted to get your take on two related questions I had. first one was, uh, how do you handle medical needs and specifically, I mean, emergencies and getting medicine. And then additionally, do travelers from the United States need to carry their private insurance cards with them when they travel abroad? You know, my understanding, David, is if you have insurance here, health insurance, you should find out if it covers you overseas, and if it does, how do you handle that? Generally, it's an out-of-pocket expense overseas. You get the proper documentation, and you take it home, and you're reimbursed. I understand. And uh, if your insurance doesn't cover you overseas, you should know about that, and then you may want to buy some travel insurance. And travel insurance is pretty routine stuff, and you can buy any number of uh, styles of travel insurance. You can get your basic health insurance, or you can also get your emergency evacuation. One story I hear anecdotally a lot is just the crippling cost of getting you home if something terrible happens, because you have to fly home first class, last-minute ticket, and you have to be reclined, and you have to have a nurse. That means basically you're booking six one-way flights for the next day first class from, you know, Peru back to the United States or China to the United States or whatever. It can cost a fortune. It can put uh, somebody in a real economic bind. You can buy insurance for that quite reasonably if you want to. Now, you always got to remember insurance is in the business of making money, and we buy insurance in order to buy away the risk. And you have to kind of decide, what is the chance that I'm going to need this? Personally, I'm pretty hardy, and I don't bother with it because I'll just take the risk, and I've got enough money where if something terrible happens, I could probably afford getting me home. If you're in a situation like that, you might forego the insurance. If you want to be a little more conservative in that regard, you can always buy the risk away by letting insurance companies make a little money off you if everything goes well by having that insurance. Now, my experience, and I've spent uh, a third of my adult life overseas, and I've gone to the doctors and the hospitals many times. Mm -hmm. It's very routine. Most of my experience, obviously, is in Europe. It's very, very routine. Every time I get sick, every time I hurt myself, I go to the doctor, I go to the hospital, they take care of me, and it's never more than a nominal cost. It might be a $10 cost or something like that. Very often, it's entirely free. Sometimes I feel bad about it. I want to pay something because I've consumed this and I'm not paying their taxes. And they're so proud of their health coverage. You know, they've got the, it's a big discussion in America right now. And anybody oh, yeah. who's got European friends knows the Europeans like their system. There's nothing socialistic about it. It's just compassionate and efficient and economic. And uh, it's for the greater good of society. And uh, I found that as a traveler, I've been a, a beneficiary of that. And uh, I've always felt really good about it. So you feel good you're in a country just walking around and accidentally twist your ankle or sprain your ankle or, or even worse, break your ankle and, and getting coverage like that or, or getting service, emergency oh. service or something, you don't have a problem with and you feel good about that. I feel very good about it. As a matter of fact, one thing I recommend is if you have, uh, uh, if you're getting sick or if you have a cold or if you've hurt yourself, mm -hmm. Sometimes for a traveler, psychologically, they're reluctant to go get fixed up. They're going to tough it out. They're going to be a hero. They're afraid of the language barrier. They don't know what it's going to cost. They think they can weather it. 
and their trip really suffers. And as a tour guide and as an individual traveler, my philosophy is at the first sign of trouble, go get fixed up, be proactive. By the next morning, you're on the mend, and you've had an interesting experience. Every time I go to a small-town clinic, it becomes one of the highlights of my visit. I'm, I'm sitting there with all these mothers and their kids with the broken arms and the coughs and so on, and it's just a very uh, intimate look at this community, and it's just kind of fun because it's, uh, it's on the other side of the world. And you got another taste of the culture. Absolutely. That was a fun part of it. That sounds great. All right. Great. Hey, thanks. Appreciate your answer. Yes. Happy travels. Yeah. Take care. Bye now. See you. And on a related note, Gary in Georgetown, Texas, emails us, and uh, Gary writes... Don't worry if you come down with a cold or other malady while traveling in Europe. On a trip through Germany in 2007, I awoke one rainy morning at the Gustav Greifen in rotenburg Tauber with a bad cold. I felt so bad I wondered whether I could even get out of bed that day. But I pulled myself together and ventured out across the square to see if I could purchase some cold pills at the Marion Apotheca, the pharmacy. The nice lady pharmacist sold me some Gripostat. I guess that means immediate relief. I also bought some aspirin, and she threw in some throat lozenges and tissues. I don't remember how much it cost, but it couldn't have been very much. The service was fantastic, the pharmacist was very sympathetic, and the medicine was exactly what I needed. I ended up sleeping the rest of the day, but by the end of the next day, I was 100%. Whether it's an apotheca, pharmacy, or chemist, European drugstores are great. You know, I will second that assessment. I find the European drugstores are very helpful. They speak English. They're highly trained people in the drugstores. And uh, I find they're able to um, diagnose you on the spot and prescribe you some medicine that you really want to get. And you'd have to go to the doctor to go to the United States, but they can uh, prescribe some uh, pharmaceuticals that would need a prescription otherwise in the States. So if you're comfortable with that, that's what they're there for. And uh, it's a good idea. And there are 24-hour pharmacies wherever you go in Europe. Uh, every hotel knows where to send you to a pharmacy if you need one. Joanne's on the line in Independence, Ohio. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for your call. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Got some ideas on health on the road? Uh, well, yeah. Get the best insurance possible for uh, traveling. Very, very good travel insurance. Uh, I don't know if you could recommend any particular companies. I did have a um, couple incidents where I did have to use the travel insurance once I had to come home from a ski trip early because of a... Um, illness with my mom, and I had to find my way back from uh, Bormio, Italy. Hmm. And more, more recently, I was in Provence, France, and I had food poisoning in Ilchersorg. Got out of bed the next day, about 24 hours later, passed out, fell to the floor, broke my ankle, and dislocated it. Hmm. I uh, had surgery in Cavaillon, and I had excellent care in the hospital there. Uh, getting the bills paid was a little more difficult. I thought the bills had been paid, and then a year and a half later, I got a bill from the hospital saying, you haven't paid us yet. So <laughs> I had to go back and forth with the insurance company because I certainly wanted the uh, hospital paid as I had really good care. The anesthesiologist, the surgeon came to see me on a daily basis. I really was very pleased with the care I got in France. I was wondering if there's any particular insurance company that you would suggest going with for travel insurance. You know, I don't know the different companies. Did you ultimately get your company to pay up on, on your bill? We did. Uh, we did get them to pay on the bill, but as I said, the poor hospital had to wait for over a year and a half for well, their they, payment. Well, I don't, I don't think they billed you properly because they, they probably could have processed that much quicker. My experience is the health care has been virtually free, but you were in there for a few days in the hospital and you had broken bones and so on. Surgery in this hospital stay was $7,000. Okay. And then what happened was uh, my portion was covered to fly me back home with the nurse, as a matter of fact, because they had to have me on medication during the flight and all with uh, blood clots and all that kind of thing. But my boyfriend's flight was not paid for his return, so he ended up paying $4,400. And we realized that that was because since we used miles for the uh, air flight, that was not covered under the insurance. But you had emergency evacuation insurance that covered you and the nurse. Yes. My part of it was covered. And that would have been a heck of a lot more than $4,400, sure, I would imagine. absolutely. Yeah. But to fly him home. Yeah, you so know, you need, if you want that kind of coverage, you're going to have to think about that and pay for it in advance. And, you know, there's a big chance you're not going to need it, but, uh, right. you know, if you do need it, you're glad you had it. What is your take, uh, Joan, on the situation? Because in France, if I go in and I, I just need to visit a doctor and get diagnosed for something, it's essentially free. Really? 
Yeah, because that's of their national health care system. You went in and had serious treatment, and you had to pay probably less than what you would have paid in the United States. Oh, certainly. But you still had certainly. to pay something. Yeah, it, was, it came to almost $7,000, but that was for seven days in the hospital and the surgery. Oh, wow. Well, that was yeah. quite a deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- that would have been just for the hospital stay here right. in the States, I'm sure. No, that was for the whole thing. So you have memories of the south of France that are unlike anybody else's. <laughs> I certainly do, but I'd go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And, and stay away from that one restaurant in Il sur la sorgue that gave you food poisoning because that caused the whole thing. I love France so much that it took me over a year <laughs> to admit that that actually happened. I kept saying I had the flu. Oh. But the truth of it was I did have food poisoning. <laughs> well, good for you to have a positive attitude about that. And uh, you had a little firsthand peek at French health care there. I sure did, but I would say, you know, when you get travel insurance, insure it for the whole thing, yeah. even for airfare, even if you use miles, because that's how okay. you get yourself in trouble. And many, many times I've heard people with the same situation you, they were covered for the health stuff, but the flight home right. really was the catastrophe economically, and you can right. buy that risk away. Yes. Hey, yeah. By the way, during your experience, do you remember, was there much of a language barrier? Because I can imagine being... Well, I speak French. Oh, you speak so, French. So, so you're that okay. wasn't a problem yeah. for me. But it could have been if you didn't. I mean, I was very grateful that I did speak French. They actually wanted us to go to the bank and wire the money. And the insurance company said, this is the flight. This is when you're leaving. You're leaving the hospital at 2 in the morning. And I said, look, it, hmm. you won't take a credit card. You won't take a personal check. You're going to have to bill me. Yeah. Because I'm not going to stay over longer to try to, you know, mm-hmm. and they did let me out of the hospital. Well, that was good. I was so certain that I, you know, absolutely wanted them paid in full. Oh, yeah. So I was a little disappointed that it was such an yeah. ordeal to get them paid. Well, that's awfully but thoughtful the care of, was of you. You know, uh, Jessica uh, has emailed us from Chicago, and she says, My husband and I were in France last May, and he fell or jumped off a wall in Carcassonne and broke his heel. We we spent two days in the hospital there. We had great medical service. We're treated very well, not to mention how cheap it was. So there's a lot of Americans (laughs) breaking their legs and getting (laughs) a dose of French health care there. I guess so. All right. Hey, well, thanks, Joanne, and take care of yourself. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You'll find suggestions and reports from other travelers on this topic on our graffiti wall at ricksteves.com. Got a powerful horse outside. Climb on the back, I'll take you for a ride. I know a little place we can get there for the break of day. I said in these shoes, no way, Jose. I said, honey, let's stay right here. Next. Local experts from Stockholm in Sweden and Istanbul in Turkey help us plan a vacation with confidence and style. 877-333-RICK. That's our phone number. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Count to ten in Welsh so he can check your... In day three, Pedwar Pimprech, saith with now deg. Wow. Martin Lan de Vistri, Adwin Dredo Gumri, Adwin Tathia Everick Steves. I'm Martin Lavandovich, and I come from Wales, and I travel with Rick Steves. 
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. As you're planning your European adventure, a lot of people kind of forget Scandinavia. People love to go to Copenhagen. People love to go to the fjords. But there's a biggest country, the mightiest country in Scandinavia, Sweden. It's well worth considering. I'm joined today by Marita Bergman. She's a tour guide and a friend of mine from Stockholm. She joins us to give a little insight into planning an itinerary in Sweden. Marita, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, of course, when you go to Sweden, you're going to go to Stockholm. And, of course, when you go to Stockholm, you've got this wonderful island archipelago, probably the most scenic and intriguing archipelago anywhere in Europe. It's a fantastic area. Uh, 30,000 islands, imagine. And if you go out of Stockholm, you take probably one of the uh, boats going out there that are connected with Stockholm. And uh, actually, uh, you need three hours until uh, you come out to the open uh, sea, the Baltic Sea. So Now, there's two competing ferry lines serving over 100 little hamlets in the islands. There's the Cinderella line and the Vauxholm line. Yeah, right? true. Now, Cinderella would be a, a little bit fancier, and Vauxholm is a little more... Uh, the the older jumper. one, the steamers. The steamers you with more stops. Mm, yeah, more stops and more atmosphere, I would now, say. Now, if you've got a family cabin out in the archipelago mm-hmm. and it's not regularly served by a, a ferry boat, you can uh, turn up a little flag on your on your dock and the ferry will actually come there? Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. If you live on an island and uh, if you're the only passengers, they will stop for you, sure. And then they, they make the mail delivery and the, and the newspapers? Everything is uh, then transported to it's you. It's an amazing, an amazing place. And smack dab in the middle of that, you've got Vauxholm, which was the historical Gibraltar that mm-hmm. defended Stockholm mm-hmm. from a sea attack. A big fortress there today, uh, which you can visit if you want to do that, uh, with restaurant also sometimes opened. Uh, but Vaxholm is an uh, enchanting small place. In I Africa. found that people were using the ramparts for sunbathing more than uh, sighting their mm-hmm. cannons mm-hmm. and guns. You yeah, know? It's yeah. a great summer paradise, a playground for yeah, the true. Swedes. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the glass country, where the famous Swedish glass is blown. That is in Småland, in the south. Uh, and do you find the factories Orefors, Kosta, Boda? Um, now, do these places welcome tourists to drop in and see the glass blowing? They do. Sure, they do. It's interesting for many Americans because Småland, it's the region where most of the ancestors that uh, went to America are from. So if you've got Swedish ancestry, they probably came from Småland, which I think statistically has a greater percentage of its people leaving and going to America than any other place in Europe. Yeah. Uh, if you go to Småland, you see that um, that land was hard to survive 100 years ago. So a lot of forests uh, and... So it was really economic refugees more than religious refugees. Uh, It was only economic Economic. refugees, yeah. If you watch the movie The New Land and The Immigrants, that's a kind of a a duo back in the 70s, I think. Uh, Wonderful, powerful doubleheader there to see the life in Sweden and why people decided to leave and then what it would be like Mm. to be a Swede coming Mm. to the United States. That's The Immigrants followed by The New Land. yeah. And also, uh, Benny Anderson from ABBA has made a musical called Christina von Duvemola. Uh, about this story. About this story. Wilhelm Mubay uh, has also been elected to the author that wrote The Immigrants about Christina that left Småland. A fascinating uh, human story. And anybody who's got roots that wants to go back, I find that Sweden is very well organized and very welcoming to Swedish Americans that want to go back and trace their roots. There's a town called Vexu? Vexu, with an immigrant museum. Yeah, and upstairs in the immigrant museum, you've got all the files where you can Mm. trace your your ancestry. And the thing is also, uh, it's easy to do that. It's uh, computerized today, and Sweden is the country, well organized, where you can go back to the 17th century with no problem. This town, Vexu, spell it for me. It's very strange. Uh, Vexu, it's V, uh, an A with two dots on it, X. X. Uh, a G. J. A J. Uh, uh, and an U. Uh, o with two dots on it. Mm? V. A with two dots. X. J. O with two dots. Yeah. Vekshu. Vekfu. Vekfu. Mm-hmm. Vekfu. I have friends in Vekfu that run a bed and breakfast, and they've got an immigrant's cabin mm-hmm. where they take people up in their car and they drop them off with groceries for a week in the middle of the birch forest uh-huh. with nothing around. You get perfect <laughs> silence perfect peace and quiet in pristine Swedish nature, and people just love it. Sounds like a retreat. A retreat. (laughs) Bill's on the line in Salt Lake City, Utah. Bill, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. I'm interested in uh, more nature in Sweden, and we're thinking about a canoe trip on a lake in Sweden. A canoe trip on a lake in Sweden. What Mm -hmm. would you recommend, Marita? Uh, I would, I mean, there are a lot of 
waters all over 100,000 lakes in Sweden, totally on this uh, area. But especially, I would recommend you to go to Värmland. It's a region uh, close to Norway. Uh, uh, It's a big landscape region. Beautiful, beautiful. And it is uh, north of Gothenburg. So Värmland. Värmland, yes. I know when you're driving on the freeway from Stockholm to Oslo, it would take you... How many hours would you guess? Six, uh, eight hours? Uh, it, it would take you around six, seven six hours, hours And from then so Stockholm. like four hours into the trip, before the Norwegian border, you go through a bunch of lakes areas. Would yeah. that be that, what yeah, you're talking about there? Yeah, that is the region, yeah. All right. So, Bill, that would be a good place to go canoeing. And there's wonderful countryside um, guest houses and so on. No problem at all to, to find anywhere to live. And um, it's a rich, wild landscape also. The latest, I don't know if you have any problem with that, but the latest discussion now in Sweden has to do with the wolves. Wolves. Jump in your canoe and go like mad. <laughs> we have about well, 80, 100 couples in Sweden, and now uh, the discussions in this, in this landscape is very, very hot. And now they have shot about, well, totally uh, 15 wolves. Uh, so the down to, it's endangered, in other words. It's endangered, yes. When you're traveling through the countryside of Sweden, bed and breakfast, what is the word for that? You can see the sign bed and breakfast uh, also, but uh, rum. R-U-M. R-U-M, yes. For years, I thought they were selling homemade rum. Mm -hmm. These signs, you drive Mm -hmm. through a little village and every house has a sign in the front yard that says rum, Uh R-U-M. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't want any rum. Uh I'm in Sweden. Then I realized they're they're renting brooms. Yeah. That's the Swedish word for room. Yeah, true. All right, Bill, good luck on your canoeing. Thank you. Much. Yeah, thanks. Mm. Jane's on the phone in Rye, New York. Jane, thanks for your call. Thanks for talking to me, Rick. Do you have a uh, question for Marita? Yes. We've been to Sweden a few times, mostly in the cities with side trips. This time, for our next trip, we'd like to rent a car. And we've looked into a place in Bastad and would also be interested in small land to get over to Oland Mm -hmm. and perhaps taking the overnight train up to Lulia and then trying to get to the Arctic. Mm -hmm. So our question is whether or not English will be as widespread in the villages, particularly up in the north as it is in the cities, how easy it will be to get around by car, Mm -hmm. and especially when we're up in the Arctic, we want to get to the Arctic Circle, would we need to take a tour or could we get a car up there too? First... There is absolutely no trouble to to talk English all over the country. You know, the Swedes are learning uh, English from the very first beginning, from the third class. They learn English in school. And education in your society is uniform. It's not for rich people in the big city, but in the most remote town, you would have the same educational opportunities, sort of an ethic of the Swedish government. And we have also an inspector. We inspect our schools, so they they really have that quality. So no trouble at all. And if you go from Bostad, which is the tennis town in Sweden, right. uh, are you playing tennis? No, actually, we we saw um, online a place that gets very expensive during the time of the tennis matches and yeah. then gets very inexpensive afterwards, and yeah. it looked like a good location um, to be able to get a, a nice place for a week or so and then see some of that area outside of the cities. Uh, it's a very, very good choice. You have other small villages close what by. What is this town, the tennis town, Bastard? Bo- Bostad. Bostard, like Bastard, but with no. Mm, uh, no, <laughs> B-O-S-T-A-D, Bostad. It's, Bostad. Uh, it's close to the water uh, and very, very beautiful surroundings. And you right. can go up the coast also to Falkenberg or Varberg. Uh, so it's beautiful to go there, uh, especially in the summer with the beaches and so on. Uh, very good. Uh, and if you go there to Småland from that, it's not so far to so go with car. Jane's talking about driving. Uh, mm-hmm. Driving around Sweden, my memory is very sparse traffic and uh, not big roads, but kind of easy driving. Uh, you have big roads and not so big roads, but they are very, very well kept. Uh, I must say that uh, you will, if you uh, rent a car there, you will have no trouble to go around there. And uh, you'll need from Bostad to Småland in the middle of Småland, around three hours like that. Normally, would people simply get on the road and drive north to get to the Arctic, or would you fly to a town in the Arctic and then rent a car up there? Uh, I would actually fly up to the Arctic and rent a car up there. Uh, It's very easy to do that, too. It's interesting to go up to the polar circle, I think. Uh, What would be the highlight up there? 
the highlight would be the light. The light? <laughs> yeah. In the summer? In the summer, yes. You probably go there in June or July or what time? Midnight sun. Yeah, the midnight yeah, sun. Um, would Lulia be a good place to use as a, a center? Pardon, what, what place? Lulia. Lulia. I would... Um, Lulio is uh, by the coast, very, very nice. Umeå is a student city. They are a little bit different, uh, those places. But um, it, they, they are both good places to see. You have, uh, well, all facilities there. Jane, we got to move on. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Yes, happy travels. Bye. Thank you. I'm Rick Steves. We're speaking with Marita Bergman, who's a tour guide in Stockholm, and we're talking about itinerary issues in Sweden. We have an email from Gail in Albany, Oregon. Gail writes, A very exciting thing to do in Sweden is to take the overnight train to the far north and visit the Ice Hotel in Kiruna, or just an ice museum in the summer. Uh, And uh, from there, be sure to travel north and west to the fantastic fishing villages on Norway's fjords. So this Ice Hotel is quite famous. Every winter, they actually build an ice hotel with carving ice, making big blocks out of it, and quite fancy design. And uh, people go up there for the, the fascinating opportunity to to live in a nice world. I'm happy to get this question because I went to Jukasjärvi just over New Year and I saw it and it's a fantastic thing up there. You won't believe it. If you go into the reception, everything is built in ice. They start to build this whole hotel in November. They take the ice from one of the waters up there in between Sweden and Finland. And if you go into the reception, it's like going into an ice cathedral. Really, the lamps, uh, everything is built in ice. And it's well-designed in a modern architectural kind of way. It's a very classy construction, and it's done once a year, in the summer and the fall, and then it melts eventually the next year. Yeah, and half of the artists, uh, you mentioned the rooms there. You go into a room, and one artist designed one room. So uh, all the rooms are differently made. Now, the poor man's version of that is in Stockholm. You go to the ice bar in the hotel next to the train station. And for $25, you get an appointment, and you get 20 minutes to go in. And you put on your big coat with mittens and a furry hat with about 30 people that enter every 20 minutes. And you've got square ice glasses, so you don't need to have ice cubes in your drink. And they pour you, it's put on by absolute vodka. So you have any kind of, uh, there's a bartender in there who pours you any kind of drink you like. The tip jar is a big ice jar. You've got an ice sofa, and Mm. you've got a lot of tourists kind of having fun with this photo up in the ice bar. Mm. But that ice, I understand, actually comes from the north of Sweden. Comes from the same place as the Jukasjärvi. And I also wanted to add to to the ice hotel, which is fantastic. They also have a church up there built in ice. Hmm. And this is uh, the church that has the most couples that marries during this very concentrated time. Really? Uh, And uh, it is... uh, of course, coming into an ice church, something very, very special. So you Swedes really like your ice. I mean, yes, you don't go do. to church much, but if the church is made out of ice, you'll consider it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And Holger, that's, I think, a good Swedish name. Holger's on the line in Tillamook, Oregon. Holger, thanks for your call. Yes, uh, my ancestry came from Sweden, so I have a vested interest in it. My question is, as a senior, does Sweden cater to... Seniors like America does, for example, does it give discounts on hotels or are there uh, youth hostels, but are there hostels for seniors? Because I like to travel by myself, and I like to fly by the seat of my pants, so to speak. Mm -hmm. First of all, how many generations has your family been away from Sweden, Holger? Oh, uh, about two. Do you know where your ancestors lived? No, because uh, the name, my last name has a... Umlau, mm-hmm. and they actually fled from Sweden because of the religious persecution. Uh, that's what I was told, and they moved to Estonia and other places, and so uh, that part of history of my ancestry is lost. Mm. Huh. Coming myself from Småland, and I have uh, everyone has an ancestor in this part that uh, immigrated 
and a lot of Americans go there to look up their roots. Okay, but back to your question, Holger, about seniors. In Sweden, uh, what is the story for senior discounts and so on? Uh, I can say uh, that I don't know so many hotels that have any discount for seniors, but uh, for sure, transportations all over, you can get a discount for that. But I want to say also to you, Holger, that uh, the youth hostels uh, that are all for all ages have a very good standard in Sweden. Okay. And it's a, a magnificent also opportunity to meet people uh, in these places also, where also Swedes like to go uh, with uh, in all ages. So, so youth hostels, if you want to go, they are all over the country. Okay. Yeah. Something on a related note, uh, what you pay to go into the museums is determined not as much by your age as by who's in power, I think. When a different political party comes into power, a lot of times the philosophy is, should the art and culture be accessible yeah. or should you have to pay for it? You know, And uh, when the conservative party's in power, all of a sudden you pay to go into the museums. And when the more liberal party's in power, all of a sudden the museums are free and open to everybody. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in 2006, the moderate party got into power and suddenly you've got fees for the museums. What's yeah, the latest we have an election now, so that will perhaps <laughs> change now this year. But uh, good that you mentioned, Rick, that uh, museums, uh, you go into every museum also at a special senior fee. So that's I want true. to say that. Well, that's really interesting. All right, Holger, good luck with your okay, travels. Okay, thank you. Sir. Yeah, yeah. welcome. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been sorting through the many possible itinerary options one would have if they're planning a trip into Scandinavia with a focus on Sweden. And we've been joined by Marita Bergman from Stockholm. Marita, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so a getaway to the Swedish countryside sounds relaxing and idyllic and completely doable. Now, let's jettison idyllic and head for a thriving and dynamic megapolis. Up next, two young Turks from Istanbul give us tips for enjoying urban Turkish nightlife, even during the month of Ramadan. We're going out on the town in Istanbul, next on Travel with Rick Steves. Tell us about the impressions you've received from your travels in the form of a haiku poem. There's a submission form in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Nancy Weinstein of Seattle sends us a trio of haiku about Scandinavia. Fjords teal-blue waters. Stony slopes thrust heavenward. Norway is awesome. Jumble of Bergen. Buildings bounce, bunch, and beckon. Up and down hillsides. Queen Copenhagen. Copper spires, canals, cafes. Venice, be jealous. And she adds this about her experience in the Cotswolds of England. Hills gently rolling, bucolic streams meandering. World, what's your hurry? Jim Reasoner from Redlands, California, spotted a haiku on a road sign on Canada's Vancouver Island while driving between Qualicum and Tofino a few years ago. Here's what it said. Slower vehicles, impeding others' progress, please move to the right. And Audrey Baxter of Austin, Texas, writes us that she's ready for a holiday. Am too distracted to focus on work or home. Need a vacation. It's one of my favorite cities anywhere in the world. And nighttime in Istanbul is especially enchanting. The subtle backlighting of the mosques, palaces, monuments, and ornate Ottoman architecture underscore the grandeur of a mighty city with a proud past. And when the gulls diving through the floodlights cast fleeting silhouettes on the great mosque of Sultan Ahmed, you get swept away. Our guides to Istanbul by night are here to take us beyond the typical old city tourist zone and stroll shoulder to shoulder with locals in this fast-growing city of well over 10 million. Munching a fish sandwich literally right off the boat, kicking the soccer ball with the neighborhood gang, or hopping on the city's new trolley line, you realize the thrill of visiting Istanbul has little to do with museum going. Thailan Tashbashin and Golkap Kashim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. People call me Alp sometimes. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, Alp in Thailand. Okay, thanks for joining us. Okay, you got a visitor coming to Istanbul, and uh, I imagine you guys are out late at night. Yeah. What are the highlights of Istanbul? What, what, if you want to make the scene, where do you go? What do you do? Well, first thing that you should do, take people to Istiklal Street, as you said. I mean, Istiklal so Street is the highlight, it's the center. It's the core of the city. Yes. Istiklal, I-S-T-I-K-L-A-L. 
It means Independence. Independence Street. Yeah. Okay. It's a boulevard with a tram track in the middle, altogether a mile long. And uh, the Golden Horn End is pretty close to the old city, and it's very easy to get there. All you need to is just go down the seaside and find the bridge, walk on the bridge. And there's a beautiful funicular, we call it, tram there. You take it. And you take the tram up to the top, and then exactly. you've got this big boulevard stretching out before you. Uh, this was the Western community back when Istanbul was very Eastern looking, the capital of the Ottoman Empire. This was sort of the enclave for the embassies and the Christian churches and so on were there. And today, it is uh, really, could you say it's a nightlife center? Uh, it is, yeah. All those Art Nouveau Bozar buildings today are converted to nightclubs and restaurants and outdoor cafeterias. It's a really pleasant place to hang out. It seems like in the cool mm. of the evening hours, uh, people have an appetite and they sort of uh, eat their way through the, the wonders of Istanbul. What are the, some of the edible highlights of Istiklal Kadasi? I would definitely say the flowers market. You sit, order a calamari and a beer. That will be a lovely snack for the afternoon, which I usually do it with friends who are visiting Istanbul as one of the highlights. Or just, again, stroll around in the uh, flower market or behind flowers market, uh, fish market area. Tunnel district. Kokoretch. Wait a second. Don't leave, don't leave the fish market without Kokoretch. Alp, what is a, what's You're all right, this Kokoretch? Exactly. Basically, cockroach is uh, sheep intestines. Ooh. Don't mix it up with the cockroach. 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 No, it's, it's, not, it's much better than a cockroach. Yeah, it is much better than cockroach. Well, it's a, it's sort of a, the local haggis. Uh, it is Scottish sort of haggis. Yeah. And uh, but the the Turks I know are just they're just evangelical about a good cockroach, not a bad cockroach. In some places, how do you choose a good cockroach place? Uh, you need to know the place exactly for sure, and you also need to go to this flower passage. And uh, there's a row of cockroach shops, kiosks selling cockroach. So uh, they're bullseye. Uh, you won't get bad cockroach there. If you see Turks eating there, it's probably okay. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's got, of course, it's got the sheep intestine, and it's, that's grilled, and it's also got tomatoes and green peppers and different seasonings in it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay, I just had my cockroach. Now I need something sweet. What's next? Let's go beyond that. If you're in the area, in the neighborhood, uh, you should have raki, and Balik. Reki and Balik, those two, is a kind of a cult. Uh, that might be m- much more appropriate for evening type of... Uh, yeah, right. Evening. Yeah, a a little a, more classy. Yeah. Oh, classy, I see. Co- oh, oh, I see. So cockroach is street food. You're yes. right. Street and then you're food. talking about... Um, sitting down. Sitting down. And uh, ordering your... Raki. Uh, now, Raki is like the Turkish ouzo. Yeah. You're right. And it's, it's spirit. And it's, it's like a licorice alcohol or yes. liqueur. But the good thing about the fish market is that you can choose your fish from the fishermen selling the fish. And then you get the restaurant to cook it for you. With the heads on them. With the heads on them. And you sit and order your rekha, as you said. And after a while, there comes these gypsy street musicians. Ah, yeah, the street musicians come in, yeah. They're with their drums and uh, instruments. They come around and uh, you just give them a little tip, $10, $15, and they're going to be with you next to your table for... Uh, 10, 15 minutes, and we'll give you nice entertainment. I think a great way for a tourist to get into the, the evening scene and, and socially is to know how to play backgammon and go into a tavern. And Turks just seem to all know how to play backgammon. Yeah. If you look at the history, it's a Greek invention, Greek game, but, but we Turks play better, of course. Uh, let's not get into the history. It goes way <laughs> back, like 8th century BC. Some says Persian, uh, right? Uh, well, shortly, it's a very, very old game and tradition, but we love to play it. And Definitely. it's uh, played in the coffee houses where only men hang out. People Young are... people do really like to play backgammon today. Everyone thinks that it's only old people sitting in the coffee houses and uh, playing backgammon. But it, young people do like to do it. With sit, water sit pipe. With yeah. water pipe. And there are so many non-smokers enjoying the water pipe, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I play around with this uh, water pipe, this Nargile thing, as a, yeah. as a travel writer and a tour guide. And it's uh, because Americans have this big discussion going on with different kind of smoking. But here, it's so innocent. It's innocuous. And you're just enjoying the smoke of these uh, dried apple or different herbs. But yeah. it's, there's no tobacco, no drug with it. No, no. It combines with that backgammon. You mentioned 
only the men go to the tea houses and play backgammon. But if a, a, some of the tea houses, yes, only a man. But what if a woman, a tourist woman, if she had reasonable social skills to have some fun with this, if she wanted to go into there? Oh yeah, they are very welcome. She would be made it's more than welcome. It's not a kind of discrimination. She, no, she'd be a some hero. Some men just want to be together with the other men and do, use their slang and swear sometimes. Be a truck driver for a day, maybe. So that's why. But could a tourist woman go in and not of be course. in trouble? And they would probably enjoy her company. No, no trouble. No trouble. And she could play backgammon with a strange man. If she knows. And ev- even if she doesn't know, because if you gather around, if you don't move immediately, somebody will move for you. Uh, exactly. And they will, they will all want to teach her how to funny. play. It might be funny. It might be very funny. Yeah. In fact, they'll probably still remember her. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm Rick exactly. Steves. This yeah. is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about nighttime entertainment in Istanbul. And I'm joined by Gokulp and Thailan, who have a lot of fun after dark in Istanbul. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Garrett's on the phone from Chicago, Illinois. Garrett, thanks for your call. Oh, hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Ah. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Istanbul during the start of Ramadan in 2007, and I had uh, quite an eye-opening experience. You know, while the restaurants were kind of subdued during the day, as soon as the sun sets, There was an almost carnival-like atmosphere in the streets and the parks around the old center. Um, There were, you know, like lights everywhere. The mosque was illuminated. And all of a sudden, there were like food stalls everywhere selling sweets and snacks. Um, They even had a temporary stage where they were putting up like live entertainment. So it was an eye-opening experience, which to me, as an American, I was thinking, you know, Ramadan was this purely somber and solemn and austere um, occasion, but, you know, to the contrary. So I was just wondering if that sort of celebration goes on for the rest of Ramadan, or if it was just in the beginning. Help. First of all, i like to say that it's really a privilege to be in Istanbul during the Ramadan. Like he said, that all the food stalls and all the light and entertainment going on the streets. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah so it's really, yeah. re- re- really nice. Uh, after Ramadan, the type of entertainment is actually changing. So that's a special type of Ramadan entertainment. Oh. You hear this medieval times uh, military band playing on the street. Uh, you have this very classical uh, Turkish, like old Turkish style traditional music performed around. So Ramadan is all about Islam and like a Turkish interpretation of Islam and the reflection this to the arts. And, and it's a family time, I find. Late at night, the whole family's out, the children, uh, having uh, great times in the restaurant. And, and Garrett, yeah. you know, it's funny, a lot of tourists think, oh, I don't want to go to Islam during Ramadan because nobody's yeah. eating all day long. But, boy, they party as soon as that sun goes down. And I think it's a great time to be in Istanbul, Thailand. And that party continues till 5 in the morning, actually. Yeah, it really you can, does. You can, you can find people out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I found that out. <laughs> <laughs> you may not sleep very well, but it's a, I find it's a great time. And I, I was in Istanbul just a year ago, and I remember I was tired after a long day of uh, working on our TV show, and I just thought, I'm going to take a walk around the block. And what was very touristy earlier that day was now all the tourists were home in their hotels, and the local people were filling the Hippodrome, and it, yes, exactly. Yes. It was uh, it was a fantasy land for me. It was like I could have written three or four articles right there, just on little intimate little glimpses of Turkish folk life that I was looking at. And it's not only uh, Sultanahmet area. No, in Istanbul, over, in Istanbul, there are several other centers, city centers, oh. town centers that has Ramazan same sort of uh, yes entertainment going on. Garrett, thanks for your call. Well, thank you very much, Rick. Yeah. I'm speaking with Thailand and Gokalp uh, from Istanbul about having fun after dark in that great city of 14 million people. Of course, all the tourists are hanging out in uh, Hippodrome and Sultanahmet area. There's different areas that are quite uh, trendy and bohemian. Help us, Thailand, get away from the tourist zones here. What do you recommend? Okay, uh, first of all, that picturesque Bosphorus. They're not concentrated around uh, neighborhoods, but there are several nightclubs which are quite fancy, you on the might, water, actually? Along the water, yes, on the water. And uh, quite fancy, and they're like jet-set uh, clubs, classy, yeah. even European people. Finds it expensive. Definitely, yeah. even, the even they find it expensive. place where you can pay $25 to a scotch. And the, these yeah. places, like, you go around, like, 1 in the morning, and yeah. you leave. Starts around six, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. 6 in the morning. Yeah. So here's where you're seeing the chic, upper-class uh, Turkish 
Jet set kind of definitely thing. waterfront nightclubs waterfront nightclubs alongside Bosphorus and would this be pretty much like any nightclub after midnight I mean is it just cocktails and uh, club music DJs club music yeah sometimes concerts but I'm kind of an intermediate um, party person I would prefer more bohemian part of Istanbul talk around. to me about the bohemian slice of Istanbul then well uh, Taksim and environment is the place where you can bump into a dollar millionaire basically and you can see really poor people eating what's a like, dollar millionaire what does that mean well of course um, dollar your money but uh, I wanted to say wealthy rich people yeah uh, there's oh I see it a millionaire not in Turkish lira uh, well Turkish million is uh, almost as good as dollar million is that right how many Turkish lira in a dollar now Uh, one and a half Turkish lira makes oh, a dollar. Because a long time ago, it was like 500,000 uh, Turkish lira in one dollar. So a millionaire was not very much. With the zeros, yeah. Alp, you're talking about Taksim, T-A-K-S-I-M. This is sort of the modern um, concert center uh, of Istanbul, I would say. Yeah, nightclubs and the performances. The performance hall, the big editor concert hall there. Uh, the editor concert hall is there for classical music, for events and such things. So what if somebody wants to see a, a wonderful classical music? Would it be Western classical music, Turkish classical music? Where would you go? What would you recommend? Uh, Atatürk Cultural Center on Taksim Square is one of the places. Turkish Philharmonic Orchestra, Turkish Chamber Orchestra, and few other private orchestras and bands sometimes perform Uh, Western classical music. They perform Turkish... There are Turkish composers as well. Mm -hmm. And they perform their... I went to that Ataturk Cultural yeah. Center for a wonderful concert, and it was free. It was sponsored by a local bank, and that was the way they were doing an advertisement, was yeah. sponsoring a concert and letting everybody fill the hall. It they was have wonderful festivals. Evening. Usually uh, those banks and uh, special organizations, they have festivals. Classical like, music. Classical music, 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 jazz, Bach blues. week. Uh, Bach Week. Bach yeah. Week, yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, we have Blues Festival, sponsored by a big beer company, the biggest beer company in Turkey. We have Jazz Festival, and uh, we have all the um, American jazz uh, performers as the guest stars coming and performing. But the good thing about uh, those little festivals is that it really doesn't have to be in concert halls or performance halls. You have to read newspapers or get an English magazine and see, because sometimes they're in really interesting places, such as like underground cisterns or uh, in fortresses all around the city. Yeah, in uh, Rumeli Fortress, 15th century medieval fortress has got a big amphitheater inside. And two weeks every summer, there is an open air uh, events, uh, concert sessions of open air And and what's that big church just at the Topkapi Palace? Yes, inside the. How uh, old is that church? That goes back from sixth century. Sixth century. It's a beautifully preserved, perfectly preserved, giant brick church, and they have wonderful concerts right there in this minimalist, ancient building. Well, you can imagine the acoustic of a sixth-century Orthodox church, and so the lesson. The, best place the lesson here is: when you arrive in Istanbul, take the initiative. So you don't just want to see the guy, the whirling dervish there in the tourist restaurant uh, in the in the Sultan Ahmed. That wanna, happens too. You know, and you don't want to just see the sound and light show that was a big deal back in the '70s that most of the tourists sit and watch in front of the Blue Mosque. You want to find some real happening culture. Get your hands on an English language local magazine or newspaper, and they exist in English in Istanbul. Check out the entertainment section and take the initiative. Get in a taxi. It's cheap. Admissions to the concerts would not be very expensive. And then do something that's cultural and not just for tourists. So, Thailand, if you've got uh, a Friday evening, you're just going to go out and hang out in a trendy neighborhood, what would you recommend? Well, as I've said, uh, around Taksim area, there are little neighborhoods which are popular with their performance halls. If you're a local, you surely know what they're performing, what type of music they're performing. There are some clubs that performs electronic music, yeah. DJs from all around the world that comes. There are printed schedules they they're have. Usually, as, usually you find them uh, printed schedules around in the street, around yeah. the Istiklal Street, mm-hmm. or uh, rock bands, alternative bands, Turkish mm-hmm. uh, rock bands. So what's a, is a Turkish rock band just uh, playing music that you'd hear here in the United States uh, in a rock concert, or and it happens to be Turkish musicians, or is it different music? Well, the music is the same, but the lyrics are definitely different. And also they give a taste of uh, Turkish folk music in it. Ah, so they okay, do you like would have covers, cover uh, songs of the We old folk. We call it the Anatolian rock. Anatolian rock. Yeah. And with the instrumentation, would it be the same it as in America? Same. same. 
just with an Anatolian twist. Lyrics with more sorrow inside and more like fado. It doesn't have to be that sorrow. Sometimes uh, they're, they're cheerful, too. cheerful yeah. ones too, yes. Yeah. So, but you got that Anatolian heartland, that uh, the little bit of depth of your culture coming across in the modern uh, rock scene. It's a bit fusion culture, you're right, mixed up with the Western music, Western style, but um, there are fans of it in Turkey. Yeah, it, Turkish it, rock. it started in 1970s, actually. It started uh, becoming popular, this type of attitude, like folk music into rock. Right now, they're, they're so good in it that... Uh, we can say the same thing for jazz, too. Yeah, exactly. We have oriental jazz type too. of jazz. You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. And some of them are famous and known in the United States, too, some of the jazz bands in Turkey. Well, one thing, to get back to the, to your question, is that around an Istiklal street, you can go into one bar or a performance hall or a pub spend some time, listen to music, and then come out, and right next door there will be another interesting place. So you can go into 10 different bars. 10 different and, music. And tif- 10 different music and thousands of different people that you will see. That That is the good thing about around Istiklal. Istiklal. Everything is concentrated. That's what I'm going to do. That sounds like the fun thing to do. Go to Istiklal and do a little series of bar hoppings where you get different kinds of live music, different kinds of uh, local uh, clientele, and, of course, uh, enjoy some local food and drink. Thailand and Gokop, thank you very much. And uh, let's finish off with each of you teaching me one little phrase that would be helpful when I'm out and about after dark in Istanbul. Thailand, what should I know how to say in Turkish? I would say, Hadi ichelim. Hadi ichelim. Means, let's drink. Hadi ichelim. Yes. And out, what would I say? I would say, Efes kachpara. Efes kachpara. How much is Efes? How much is FS? FS is the local beer, right? Yeah. FS Kachmara. Exactly. That would be useful. All right. Hey, we'll see you after dark in Istanbul. Gokalp and Thailand. Teshikur. And thank you. Thank you. Can everybody say amen? <laughs> um, amen, so. as you say in Turkey. Yeah. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> Inshallah. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks to Cheryl Harris for reading today's haiku. You can send us your original travel haiku or a short essay about where you live. Details are in the radio department at ricksteves.com. And join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take thousands of free-spirited travellers on escorted tours through Scandinavia, the Baltics, through Turkey, Greece and beyond, one small group at a time. And this year, we're offering more than 30 exciting itineraries, including a week in Istanbul, the best of Turkey, and Athens and the heart of Greece. For a free tour catalogue and Rick Steves Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour section at ricksteves.com.